0: Okay, good people, this episode of Memory Motel will hit the interwebs on election day. I know I've had a lot of feelings about this election, and I know you probably have had them as well. So today's episode is for you. It's about how the past can come back at just the right moment to offer hope for the future. And speaking of the future, as we're wrapping up season one of Memory Motel, we're really excited about season two. If you wanna keep in touch during the hiatus, and get a few sneak peeks of what's to come, definitely sign up for our newsletter at memorymotel.audio. And better yet, if you want to help support the show, we now have a Patreon page. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a platform that allows you, the listener, to donate a small amount of coin on a monthly basis, and we have several levels of support to work with any budget, and each level comes with swag. So if you go to the website now, Just under the most recent episode, there's a tiny box. We're very subtle here. And there's a question. Like our show. Notice that question mark. It's very humble. And then another question. Want to hear more? And that subtly hides the desperation of, without your support, there will be no more. Oh no, but it's very subtle. And then, wait for it, consider donating to our Patreon page with an exclamation point. We save the joy and confidence for the very end. And if you click that link, it will take you right to our donut page. And now, episode 12, A Little Bit of Grace. So
1: I was 22 years old. It was my boyfriend Jason's idea to move to Albuquerque, New Mexico, so that I could write a novel. And he said he would work and support me. And I said, that's the most romantic thing anyone's ever said to me. So we moved there sight unseen. Neither of us had ever been to Albuquerque. As soon as we got there, it became clear that he wasn't good at holding down a job, um, but I was good at holding down a job. I waited tables at a diner that was famous for serving green chili cheeseburgers to the scientists who worked on the Manhattan Project and launched the first nuclear bomb. At the time, I thought it was romantic, but looking back, it was a pretty dark time because I was very isolated in Albuquerque. My ex-boyfriend became increasingly abusive once we were hundreds of miles away from our friends and family, so I didn't really have people I could talk to and tell what was going on in my life. I was just like a broken person. Like I lost 20 pounds in about six months. And still i would have done anything to be with him which doesn't make logical doesn't make logical sense but it made emotional sense at the time because i thought he was the best thing i had going for me so one night this family came in and they were really friendly and outgoing and i was talking to the dad and he ran a theater company and then i found out he was from las vegas And I knew that there was a children's theater company in Las Vegas because I had this internet friend named David from the time I was 13 and I'd never met David. I said, do you know David? And I gave his last name. And the guy said, of course I know David. And it just blew my mind that the universe had brought this family, not only to my restaurant, but like to my section. My relationship with David was so significant because he had basically saved my life as a teenager.
0: And what did hearing that name mean for you at that time in your life?
1: I was trying to hold it together that, like, I thought that I had a person who I lived with, who I loved, who saw me for who I was. But in fact, it was this boy on the internet who I'd never met who truly saw me and who truly wanted to help me. To hear David's name and remember this person that had really tried to help me at a pivotal moment in my life, it was like a little, a little bit of grace. I just can't remember.
2: And I remember.
0: Can't remember. This. I remember even. I do remember. He said this. He said those
2: stories were the essence of it like what it was to be alive.
0: Was Can you trust that? Is that light always on? I'm Terrence Mickey and welcome to Memory Motel. The past is always with us, waiting in the wings, offstage for the moment, but always ready to reappear. And what comes back, whether it's a name, a scent, or a whole scene, it just might be what we need to remember. But even when the news is good, it can take a few tries before we can properly welcome the past back into our lives. This was certainly the case for Lee Stein, This is her memory of AOL, usernames, Starlight Express, and well, of course, David.
1: I can remember being nine and being at someone's house and she had a computer in her bedroom and she had AOL and I was like, what is that? I can remember it so vividly what the layout of the room was and looking at the screen because it was so exciting. So I was on AOL. By the time I was 13, and that's where I met David, in a message board for Andrew Lloyd Webber fans.
0: David's username was ITW Baker, which stood for Into the Woods Baker. And Lee's username? Mine
1: was Drama Goyle, like with the New York accent, so dorky. Our conversations were about Starlight Express. Cats. <laughs> um, Starlight Express was his favorite. I could never really get into Starlight Express as much as he was into it, but that was, maybe that's because it's like a Las Vegas... It's like Las Vegas roller skating spectacle. I do remember being in chat rooms with him and then emailing him, so I think it must have become like private conversations pretty quickly. So then we just talked about middle school or what shows we were doing, and I got his phone number. We started talking on the phone, And my dad was really worried because David's voice had changed, so he had a baritone voice. I remember this being like a huge issue, but I guess he didn't sound like a child on the phone to my father.
0: David didn't sound like a 13-year-old, and at times, Lee didn't feel like a 13-year-old, carefree and light. She started noticing a darkness in her thoughts.
1: Here's a person I never have to see face-to-face. I can tell him anything. And I guess I was telling him that I was depressed, that I'd taken these questionnaires, that I had a chemical imbalance in my brain, which is probably like a lot for someone to take. Like he could have just stopped talking to me. You know, it's the internet. Like he could have just never spoken to me again. But he listened to me, which is probably why I continued to tell him. So my mom is a clinical psychologist, and she didn't notice the signs at the time, which is the great irony. So I think it was just a perfect storm of not being seen, not feeling recognized, and just this dark cloud that came over me that just made me feel like I was worthless. I wasn't getting any better, and no one ever thought to wonder, could that 13-year-old girl have depression? Is that why she has headaches and sleeps all the time? the suicidal thoughts just accumulated so like at first it's like huh I don't have to feel like this I could do something about it that's like the first little thought and then it's like huh you know how would I do it when would I do it would anyone miss me and then it just is this a pile on of these thoughts that seem to be coming from outside of you so there's almost like two selves that are clashing where one self is like how could i do that to myself no and the other side is like it's gotten so bad this is what we need to do there is a website and it still exists i looked for it that's called if you're thinking of suicide read this first it said like i just want five minutes of your time I can tell you're in a lot of pain, just read this. So it's like very talking to you as a person. And I read that page so many times. And finally, it didn't mean anything to me. So I told David that I had this plan to kill myself on a Thursday. And my plan was that I was gonna take all the medication in the house. It must've been a couple days before Thursday. He got on a three-way phone call with two of his friends and they convinced him to call the police. The police called my middle school and my middle school called my parents. I don't remember exactly what happened next, but I do remember coming down the stairs and my mom was at the bottom and she was like, your school just called us. Your friend David called the police and they said that you want to kill yourself. And I just felt so shocked. Like, I was shocked that she knew this thing about me, and she was shocked that she didn't know this thing about me. And so betrayed. I can't believe he called the police. Like, how could David do this to me?
0: Was there any part of you that was relieved?
1: Well, yes, because I thought they were going to hospitalize me. So I was desperate to be taken seriously. So I was sure that that's what would happen to me next. But no, my mom didn't want me hospitalized because she thought that would be too serious. This makes me feel bad to think about it, but I, um, I still stayed home from school on Thursday, and they let me. If they knew my, if they knew my plan, why would they still let me stay home? So it was like a test, and they failed it. At the time.
0: What did you do that day?
1: I probably just slept. That's what I did. And, like, my dad would call to check in on me, and I would have to answer. And then he would tell me to drink some ginger ale, because ginger ale is, like, the cure-all in the universe of my family. (laughs) Only as an adult have I realized, like, oh, ginger ale has no medicinal properties. Well, then I did get better. I I went to therapy. I got put on medication that helped me. I did become a different person. I wasn't so sad.
0: And what happened with David?
1: I think we patched it up, but it was never the same again. I don't think I talked to him in high school. It was this brief window in middle school. So maybe, maybe I didn't need him the same way.
0: So of course, for Lee at 22, Hearing David's name from a stranger in Albuquerque while she's quietly suffering in an abusive relationship, it sounded like a little bit of grace, like a lifeline out of the murk once again. And of course she wanted to reach out to him on Facebook to reconnect, but it was complicated.
1: The most time David and I ever spent together was when I was depressed on AOL in 1998. That's the most time we ever interacted. The fear of what if when he thinks of me, he thinks of a clingy attention to seeking, depressed suicidal teenager? Like, is that what I am in his mind? And is that what I'll be forever? I better accomplish a lot of things and I better really be high achieving so that I'm never that person who has depression and was suicidal. Like that. I don't want that to be my only label. And I guess, Because I knew David at such a critical moment, the fear that I would be that person to him. So what if he didn't accept my friend request even? What if he's like, oh, her, I'm not going to go down that road. That would have been 2007. So I went on Facebook and sent him a friend request. It's so funny because, like, my my message was surely, like, hey, I'm living in Albuquerque, like, having the best time ever, you know, because that's that's the story I had to tell everybody because I couldn't tell most people the truth.
0: David did accept her friend request, but the I'm having the best time ever message didn't quite lead to much of a connection. But years passed, and Lee slowly started writing about the dark time in her 20s. She finally told everyone the truth, when she published a book about her abusive relationship with Jason. And she surprised herself in that book with a chapter on David.
1: It's a flashback chapter to 1998 um, that I wrote. I wrote it, but I wasn't sure if it belonged in the book because I thought, well, what's the connection? And someone in my workshop was like, oh, this comes at the perfect time because it tells us who you were, that you would fall for someone like this.
0: And so with almost 20 years between the adult she is now and the 13-year-old she was then, and with a few books under her belt and enough accomplishments to ward off judgment, and now this memoir that helped her process that dark time in Albuquerque, Lee finally felt ready to connect with David.
1: I was still, like, finding ways to procrastinate approaching him. It's like I'm still feeling the awkwardness from 18 years ago.
0: Okay, it's still complicated.
1: Hey everyone, Carrie Thomas here. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and if you are and want to know more about Lee's time in New Mexico, check out her memoir, Land of Enchantment, which is available on Audible. And guess what? Audible is offering you, a listener of Memory Motel, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you an opportunity to check out their services. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash memorymotel. Again, that's audibletrial.com dot com slash memory motel for your free audiobook okay, back to Lee
0: here's a person you've never seen face to face and at thirteen he sees you when no one else sees you
1: yeah, he didn't know what I looked like even
0: so what happens if like eighteen years later you feel invisible again?
1: That would be worse, right? It'd be better to live in my memory and imagine that it was a profound experience for him Then to find out by asking him that he doesn't remember it. It was such a dramatic moment in my life, but what if it's not in his, and then I'm like, here, I wrote this book, and he's like, I don't remember that, you know?
3: Oh, it's so exciting to talk to you.
2: I know it's been a couple of decades probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's um,
3: been a long time. I have a chapter in there about what happened when I was 13, so that's what I kind of wanted to revisit with you to see what you remember.
1: Um mm-hmm. I guess there's always the fear that somebody's memory won't match yours. And then what does that say about your memory? And that's the issue with writing a memoir, um, unfortunately. I knew what you looked like because you had nailed me a letter on Beauty and the <laughs> Beast stationery
2: that had your photo.
3: But I don't think you knew what I looked like because I don't think I'd sent you my I photo. I think
2: I, I can't remember. I, well, the letter side of the, the friendship is pretty fuzzy to me.
0: What did you hope to get by calling him after that much time and reconnecting with him? Like, what were you looking for, and did you get what you were looking for?
1: I wanted to know why he took me seriously when nobody else around me did, like all the professionals, including my mom, but also the school psych- the school counselors, my teachers— Nobody saw anything, and I was. They saw me every day, but he saw something, or he listened to me, or believed me.
3: One of the things that haunts me that I can't figure out is like, why were you the one? You didn't even know me. Like you, we'd never, right. we'd never met each other, and yet you were the one who saw me, who believed me. Like because I don't know if you remember this, but like my mom is a psychologist. <laughs> like my, <laughs> I lived with a licensed therapist and she didn't know any of this nobody noticed any signs of anything but you did and you didn't even (laughs) you didn't even like go to the same school as me so this is like this profound
2: or or live in the same like region of the yeah yeah right i wonder i mean there is there is an added step of safety in a conversation with somebody who's not in your daily life, right? Like, that is why people go to psychiatrists, psychologists, because there's are someone separate. There's just something about that person who's not part of the daily life that allows a certain amount of vulnerability for better or worse, right? It's just, it's just easier, I think. I think I think we connected over the things that mattered to us at the time. Uh, we connected over Angeloid Weber and Stephen yeah. Sondheim. And... <laughs> The intimacy was created in spite of, or maybe because of, the distance. I don't know.
1: I get the sense that he's just like a good person who doesn't um, hold on to negative versions of things. Oh,
2: that's that's uh, my memory of the events of gosh, what's seventeen, eighteen years ago. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think it was nineteen ninety eight. I think it was the spring of
2: 1998.
3: Wow! So it was 18 years ago.
2: That's insane. (laughs) When did we get old? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: Yeah, I really was excited to talk to you because I feel like our story is such a positive story of things that happen on the internet. Because there's like so many negative things that happen to people online, (laughs) and And this was, like, an amazingly good thing. Even though it was at the time, you know, you didn't know what to do. I was mad
1: at you. (laughs) Right. I think I needed, like, I just needed to be seen. And you saw me. Right. He had some instinct that I was telling the truth and that this is really serious. And I had some instinct that he was going to be my person at that moment. And that's what allowed all this to happen. I can have relationships today that aren't as profound as that, you know, these superficial relationships. You just have a few of those, like, really intense life or death kind of people.
3: Is Starlight Express still number one for <laughs> <video> you, or?
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I could say it's number one, but uh, you know, the sheet music is sitting on the piano at home right now, so
0: uh,
2: <laughs> it gets whipped out every couple of years, I guess now. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, childhood.
0: Thank you, Lee, for sharing your story. Lee Stein is the author of several books, as well as the co-founder and executive director of Out of the Binders, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing the careers of women and gender nonconforming writers. You can learn more about her and her work on our website. And if you have a significant person from your past who you haven't contacted for any number of reasons, but you've thought about it and have wanted to, please let me know. I love these kinds of stories. And thank you, as always, for listening to Memory Motel. We're winding down season one, getting ready for season two, so please stay in touch during our hiatus via Twitter at Memory Motel and at Terrence underscore Mickey, and now via Facebook on our Memory Motel page. That is a lot of social media to keep you busy, but if you want an old-school connection, just call us at 614-636-6798 or, and I love saying this, 614-MEMORY-8. That is the word memory and the number eight. Thanks as always to the Memory Motel team, and until next time... I can't wait to see what you find when you go back.